sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Is pushing the odds. Pushing the odds. Live from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Here's your host, Matt Peralt. Happy Monday, everybody. What's up and welcome to Pushing the Odds here on Sports Grid Channel 204. Matt Peralt with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk. Matt with you for, well, normally we're on for two hours. So it won't feel any differently, any different for you guys on Sports Grid Channel 204 here on XM. But for me, we will not be welcoming in the Sports Map Radio audience today. We are going to be exclusive here for two hours on XM. We are streaming the show on my Twitter account at Sports Talk Matt if you want to watch the show. But boy, Houston, Texas is dealing with something they just are not used to. It is the coldest day in Houston in over 120 years. And they have had overnight sleet, rain, ice, and then snow. The city is legitimately shut down. And. They can't get to work. We are uh, the network is the, the radio network is operating on. I, I guess it's backup power. They don't have the internet. They don't have really. They've got like three people in the entire building. It's really a bad scene in Houston this morning, and maybe for a day or two. So I don't know if we'll be back tomorrow on them. But hey, for you guys on XM, you get me for two hours exclusively here on Sports Grid. Our text number is seven zero two seven five one Matt. That's seven zero two seven five one six two eight eight. We got a lot to get to on the show today, including Bob Packers from Fox Sports coming on talking about the Daytona five hundred and that incredible finish last night. We normally hear from Dave Sherapan on Mondays on the sports rate sports map radio portion of the program. We're going to move him here to Sports Grid. We'll go through the weekend, go through the the handle a little bit, wins and losses for the books over the weekend, Daytona, NASCAR betting and whatnot. We'll do that. And then Alex Moretto from the score and the score bet will come on. Major slate of NHL games to get to. A lot of good ones. Tampa and Florida going at it today. You got Edmonton, you got Calgary, you got Winnipeg, you got Ottawa, Vancouver, a lot of teams to get into and break down coming up with Alex J. Moretto from the score bet here in the second hour of the program. One quick thing that we'll get into a little bit later on here. We'll do a lot of NBA today talking about the Jazz and where they are. They're back in action tonight against Philadelphia. That's the biggest game in the NBA tonight with the Jazz and their ridiculous six games in a row covering streak. Best record in the NBA. Best record against the spread in the NBA. I mean, the Jazz have just been absolutely ridiculous so far. And yes, I will be on the Jazz tonight just because <laughs> you just ride these. I, I don't love the bet. I'm just going to ride it because they've been you know, dominating everybody. And, you know, Philadelphia has lost two games in a row. But the interesting thing about NASCAR in the Daytona 500, and I know if you're a purist, you're not going to like this, and you're probably going to tell me that I'm crazy. But I've been covering NASCAR since really 2004 when I moved to Alabama. And I was a kid who hadn't had much experience watching anything to do with plate racing and anything to do with NASCAR, and I had to learn a whole lot. So I'm only like 20 years into the business. There's been people who are far more into the sport and know the sport's history way more than I. However, I do think the NASCAR folks have got to, uh, have got to believe or at least understand the fact that their biggest race of the year being their first race of the year is a problem. 
and they need to have something before it. They, they can have it in February. I know you guys in NASCAR, you like having the month of February to yourself because if you go to March, you get swallowed up by by the NCAA tournament. If you go to April, Major League Baseball swallows you up. If you go to May, now you're getting into kind of you know May in Florida. You don't want to get down there during, you know, no, it doesn't really work. And, and I get it. You go down there in February, you have two weeks for Speed Week, and, and I get all the ramp up, and I understand that, but... From a betting perspective, and this is what hockey is seeing a major resurgence. I'm betting more hockey than I ever have. Folks are wanting to bet hockey. They want to watch hockey. They're finding more success and they're enjoying it. Because why? Because the books don't put their best people on hockey. That's just a fact, okay? The handle for hockey is not as big. The the lines aren't as sharp. And you're getting more opportunities to cash. And... I'm not alone in in my record over the last year betting in the NHL is one of my best of any sport that I bet on. NASCAR could have that same situation. People could really get into NASCAR thanks to sports betting, but you want some build up. You want some some lead up. You don't want to have everything go off at, you know, in February. It's a first event and then it's all downhill from there all the way until the championship. It just it diminishes so much. The Daytona 500 should be, and you'd have to rework the entire schedule to make it happen, but the Daytona 500 should be the end of the season, not the start of the season. That would make it epic. The biggest purse, the biggest stage. You need some ramp up. You got to have some data. You need to be able to watch some things and be able to break things down and say, okay, what has this team done? What has this guy, what has this driver done in these conditions? Have they gotten better at plate racing? Have they gotten worse? How about teamwork? We saw that last night at the end. What was so big for what Ford did, the Ford team, all the drivers come together. That's how you ended up with Michael McDonald winning the thing because he was in the right place at the right time when you had that massive wreck on the final lap. It just, to me, it just feels like that's, a conversation NASCAR has to have given their interest in marketing with sports gambling, marketing with sports books, that they should consider. I'm not saying you dramatically change everything, but I do think you should consider reworking that schedule to benefit sports gamblers, to make them more interested in the great American race, which was last night. More on that with our big four, the four big stories we're covering today. More on NASCAR coming up with Bob Packeris from Fox Sports. Busy hour. Don't move on a Monday. It's Pushing the Odds on SportsGrid, Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Your search is over. You found it. What you've been looking for. The definitive culmination of the the state-of-the-art of sports sports talk. This is the winning edge. You're listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. 702-751, Matt, the text line, 702-751-6288 here on Sports Grid Channel 204 for Pushing the Odds. Big four stories here in just one second, but did you guys watch the pay-per-view for the UFC event on Saturday, the really impressive performance by Usman, who Kamaru Usman, again, just for the 13th consecutive 
time just showed that he is one of the greatest fighters of all time in the UFC in mixed martial arts, and he is just dominant. Gilbert Burns had a couple of shots early, but I don't bring that up to say, well, look, it was. Uh, we talked about it on Friday a lot about what the bookmakers had done in the first when that book when that fight first got booked. I mean, Usman was minus 160, minus 170, and the professionals bet that thing all the way up to minus 300. So when the fight got rebooked after Gilbert Burns had some issues with COVID-19, it then went right to three. And it was $3, and you know, 295 I think it closed at minus 295 at the FanDuel Sportsbook. But the, the reason why I bring up the fight is not because of the fight itself. It's because of this newfound love of the 8K camera that... It just, I mean, I'm I'm 43, so I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up with Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and I grew up, you know, what, with Mario Brothers and whatnot. I didn't grow up with PS5s, and I didn't, I didn't grow up with all this incredible technology that the kids have these days for, for video games. But what was wild was, uh, you know, it was it was incredible to sit there and watch this, this what we had only seen with the NFL in Fox now have it be where there's all of these, you know, the, it looks like you're shooting on your iPhone essentially, right? You know, on portrait mode, you've got somebody in focus in the backgrounds and it's not in focus and it's blurred and it looks wild. And for fighter walkouts, it looks incredible. And now, I mean, NASCAR used it last night at the end of the Daytona 500. It's just like, I'm really curious to see what happens in the next couple of years when it comes to television viewing. Because, I mean, if people aren't comfortable going to games, if we're going to see attendance be down for a couple of years and everyone's going to be at home, I could see investments being made in new ways and maybe the virtual reality stuff becomes more of, more of an actual thing that we're going to do where we'll watch games at home and we'll put on this big clunky thing on our heads and we'll act like or feel like we're actually courtside or like right in front of us. I, I don't know if that's going to be there or not, but, but man, <laughs> it is... It is pretty wild. It is pretty wild to see where we are technology-wise. And watching that UFC event over the weekend was the first time the UFC had had it. And it was like, oh, my. It was, it was really cool for walkouts. It was really, really neat. So I, I'm excited to see what happens in the future with it. But I think people are going to be interested if we're going to be at home watching games more and more and more. They may be inclined to say, all right, give me more of that. Give me more of the things where we can't, you know, where we're watching, you know, with things on our heads. And I don't know if I'll ever do that. I've never done it. But given what that fight looked like, it was pretty cool. I mean, having the 8K walkout, I mean, maybe one day I guess the fights will be in 8K. But now it's just like one camera guy running around. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's a very unique thing. All right, let's start with our four big stories. And we start with NASCAR, the Daytona 500. It ended after midnight Eastern time. And again, if I was, if I was in charge of NASCAR, I would move this to later in the year or I would have events before it, but I might run Daytona at night. Daytona at night was awesome. I mean, that was absolutely awesome. Under the lights, it was just on a Sunday night. It was late for the East Coast. I get it. So East Coast people probably weren't very happy about it. But on the West Coast, having the Daytona 500 end at you know past 9 o'clock was incredible. And at the end, the checkered flag goes to a 100-to-1 long shot at certain books. Michael McDowell was left standing after a monster wreck on the last lap. 
It sent Logano and Brad Kozlowski flying. Teammates wreck, and it allows Michael McDonald to take home the checkered flag at the Great American Race. Luckily for me, I bet at plus 210, I had a Ford to win the race. So I didn't care which one of the four who were leading were going to wind up winning it. But man, here's MRN on the crazy call of the last lap. Here's Keselowski trying to make the move on Logano. Logano throws the block. Logano leads down the back straightaway. Keselowski's in line. Now he turns him. Boot team Penske cars crash. Keselowski is up in a ball of flame. Up into the outside wall. He'll take Kyle Busch with him. Everybody now racing off the corner in a horrific crash on the final lap of the Daytona 500. And we go to a yellow flag finish, and then boom, Michael McDowell wins. More on that coming up here in the next segment. Number two, we'll have a lot on the NHL today. Monster slate of games, big games like Florida against Tampa, Winnipeg against Edmonton. But can Ottawa turn around their season? Man, are the Senators bad. But they're showing some signs of life over the last couple of games. They're at Toronto tonight. Now, Ottawa is 3-12-1 on the year, but... Some people are saying, look, the Senators might turn it on. They're due to, you know, some regression, if you will, like not losing every match, every game. But Maple Leafs, Sheldon Keefe yesterday on what the power play could do for the Leafs if they turn it on. We haven't had as many opportunities to really find much rhythm with the power play, given that we haven't had as many opportunities there uh, within each game. And then also we've had some disruptions, you know, whether it's, you know, first you adapted to Joe leaving, and then uh, you got uh, Simmons leaves the lineup. Uh, and we tried some different things to see how it, how it could work, and uh, it hasn't quite uh, hasn't quite been there for us. Number three, big games in the NBA tonight as well, highlighted by Utah hosting the Philadelphia 76ers. Utah has been just incredible, in particular at home. And you can make the case the Jazz are the best team in the NBA right now. Now, we got a ways to go. But if this injury to Anthony Davis is significant, I don't think it's much of a question that the best team in the, in the NBA right now, and maybe for the regular season, could, could be the Utah Jazz. After the loss to Denver yesterday, the Lakers star talked about where he is with this Achilles injury. Just driving. Um, and I think that last step kind of re-aggravated, you know, the injury I already had. Um, you know, now I think they're saying it's like an Achilles sprain. Um, so, uh, you know, get an MRI tomorrow and then try to figure out the next steps of you know, getting back on the floor. Fourth and finally here on the Big Four, the Nets are back in the court tonight on the road at Sacramento. Brooklyn's a four-point favorite with the total set at a massive 242.5 at the FanDuel Sportsbook for the Nets. They're coming off a huge win over the Warriors. Kevin Durant was incredible in that game against his former team, but KD got hurt in that game. He will miss at least the next two with a hamstring injury, including tonight on the road at Sacramento. For Kyrie Irving and company, they're trying to find some consistency, but it's hard to do that when the lineup constantly changes. You just want to find consistency in that, of having the approach to prepare as we're playing against anyone, you know, to be at a certain level of excellence. Um, and we and we demand that each other. We had a shoot around this morning, first one of the year, um, which is which is fun. <laughs> and I think we enjoyed the time and space to prepare together. When they're healthy, but they haven't been healthy. Those are our four big stories we're following for you guys here on pushing the odds on Sports Good Channel 204. So 
We'll get to Bob Packers from Fox Sports coming up here at 40 past the hour on where we are with NASCAR. I do want to get into some games in the NHL coming up next in the next segment a bit on the NBA slate as well. We're watching the NFL still clearly going to see what, what happens with the Houston Texans. All eyes are on Houston for different reasons today because of the weather problems we're having in Houston. But J.J. Watt is available and numerous teams are calling. Obviously, everyone's watching Pittsburgh and whether or not the Steelers could get a deal done to bring in the third Watt brother or does he look to go to Tampa Bay with Tom Brady does he want to go down there Tampa's got to I mean if I'm Tampa I I try to get the deals done with my younger players first and if JJ Watt is still available then fine maybe you go and take a look at it but they've got some really talented young players that are up for contracts on that defense already for Tampa I'm not sure you want to bring in a guy in his early 30s but he is incredible I love JJ Watt more on the NASCAR slates or the NASCAR outcome. More on the NBA and NHL slates for tonight coming up next. It's pushing the odds. Don't move. Sports Grid, Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Working hard 24 hours a day to give you your USRDA of the winning edge. Everything a growing boy needs. Sit up straight. Get it right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. This is Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. All right, so our thoughts are, and well wishes go out to everybody in, in Texas. If you're a truck driver and you're rolling through anywhere in the Midwest right now, I mean, it is just absolutely horrific. It's freezing. I lived in Des Moines for a couple of years. I lived in Omaha for five. And so I've been through the winters where you have negative 71 wind chill, but that's what's coming down the pike for the folks who are in Iowa. And that's just, if you're in Minnesota, you know, you're in the upper Midwest. You're just dealing with some real nastiness. I've always said that February is the worst month for winter storms in America. It's just because you're kind of battered and tired. January, you get a couple of bad storms, but you start getting the warmer, you know, some of the some of those you know, warmer temperatures, and you get more and more moisture. And I always feel like the bigger storms hit, at least on the East Coast growing up in Boston. I always felt like the bigger storms always came down in February, but in the Midwest, it's just brutally cold, and it's stretching all the way down to Texas. So, like I mentioned in the beginning, this is the coldest day in Houston in a hundred and coldest February in Houston in 122 years. Okay, so they're just they're just not used to this. It's been cold, 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 and then snow, and so you get cold, 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 and then snow. And the mayor of Houston just went on local TV and said that the power outage in the Houston region may be there for a day or two. So that's a that's like one of the biggest cities, fifth biggest population center in the country being without power for a day or two. That is not good. So it's eh, not a good time at all. Right. And look, it's cold in Vegas today, but it's nothing like it's 50 degrees. <laughs> so it's nothing like what we're dealing with in other parts of the country. And you get soft real quick 
real quick when you start living in temperatures like Vegas and the desert and Arizona and whatnot. You just you don't deal well with cold, and you start seeing temperatures around the country, and you're like, what in the world? It's just really, really cold. Uh, congratulations to the Creighton Blue Jays, by the way. I bet against you guys this weekend. Nice win over Villanova, and just a team that I've covered for a long time. And the National Player of the Week is Marcus Zagorowski for what he did over the over the last week. Averaged 17 points and 5.4 rebounds and 4.5 assists as they had double-digit wins on the road at Georgetown. And then they whipped number 5 Villanova at home. And look, I didn't see that coming. And I have said the Jays are lacking a killer. I've talked about this a lot, that there's just not this guy at the end of games who the Jays are going to rely on come the NCAA tournament. And in most years, the Jays have had this type of player where when the game's on the line, you know the ball is going to be in his hands. Now, going into the year, you thought it was going to be Marcus Zagorowski, their point guard. He was a Naismith watch list guy from the get-go because of how well he played. He was the preseason Big East player of the year. So he had been banged up. And maybe the injury was more significant than we thought because he's starting to play like the guy everybody thought that he was going to be this year. And if he hits his peak in the tournament, that could be a sleeper team for the NCAA for the Final Four. I don't think the Jays, if they ever if they run into Baylor or Gonzaga, they don't have the size or the athletes to handle either one of those two teams for the Jays, it's really going to come down to matchup. And so even like an Illinois, if they ran into an Illinois, I think there'd be some problems. Christian Bishop is such an incredibly important player for the Creighton Blue Jays. It all starts with Zagorowski. I get it. But to me, if the Jays are going to make a deep run in the tournament, if they're going to be a Final Four team, and remember, the Creighton Blue Jays have never made it out of the first weekend ever in their school history. They have never made it to the Sweet 16. It's kind of crazy to say, with all the players that they have produced under Greg McDermott since taking over for Dana Altman, you know, even you know the Doug McDermott years, they ran into in North Carolina his junior and senior years in the tournament. I was there for both those games in the tournaments. They ran into the Blue Bloods, and they got beat. So there are you know so, some uh, there are people out there that are thinking this could be the team, but to me it comes down to Mitch Baylock, the senior from Kansas, the shooter. If he hits threes, and if Christian Bishop can play in the post, and they need productivity on the defensive end, offensively it's great, but on the defensive end, if Christian Bishop can use his length to at least keep. The, the centers and power forwards at bay, like he did against Villanova, if he can play the way he played over the weekend, oh boy, yeah, the Jays could wind up in the Final Four. That's absolutely possible that Creighton could wind up in the Final Four. Are they the best team in the Big East? I mean, right now I would say yeah, but I'm not so sure how good the Big East really, top to bottom, how good the conference is. And I'm concerned about Villanova. I mean, I Villanova is one of my favorite teams this year, and I'm concerned about the way that they're playing, the way that they're shooting, turnovers like crazy. I mean, I, the, the stop-and-start nature for some of these programs where they haven't got into a rhythm, they haven't been able to sort of, you know, they haven't been able to get themselves going. I, I don't know. I'm concerned about what I'm seeing from Villanova here, and and we'll find out in the in the Big East tournament a bit. You know, if the Creighton Blue Jays win the Big East tournament, you know, if they make a run, they may have a shot here. 
you know, potentially a top three seed in the dance. And that would be monstrous. But again, if you don't make the second weekend in a top three seed, that's pretty bad. So a little extra pressure there, but no fans, li- limited travel, and then no blue butts. Kansas, not great. Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, Kentucky. I mean, just go down the list of teams that are just not that good at all right now. Just aren't that good. So I think if you're looking for a sleeper team to bet on in the tournament, if you're looking for someone who you you might want to make a Final Four bet on, I don't think the Creighton Blue Jays are all that bad. Okay, I, I don't think they're all that bad to, to hop on, given their odds and where they are. And, you know, you, you get to look around and, and say, okay, do I think they are a national championship contender? No, I do not. Do I think that they have the potential to make the Final Four? I do. And, you know, it, it is kind of, if you want to take a flyer here, the Creighton Blue Jays, to get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, they're plus 3,500 at the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's not nuts, all right? It's most likely no, but if Alabama's plus 400 and Houston is plus 700, the Jays play on the road at Villanova coming up next week. If they were to blow out Villanova again, and if they would run through the Valley Tournament, and if they get a couple of big wins in the Valley Tournament, or sorry, Valley, sorry, there's my Creighton Biggest Tournament, my Creighton Experience, you get the Blue Jays to run the table and they blow out everyone in the Big East Tournament? Uh-uh. If things break their way, I mean, maybe. I don't think so. I, I, I mean, as a one seed, probably not. To win it all, I probably wouldn't go there for the Creighton Blue Jays to win it all. I, I mean, I feel at plus 2,600, I mean, I guess you could throw a flyer on them there at 26 to 1, but eh. Alabama at 17 to 1 is still a decent bet. I still think that there's some good value on Alabama if you want sleeper. I don't like Villanova at 10 to 1 at all. I know they've got the talent, but I don't like the way that they're playing. It's so wide open. It really is either Gonzaga or Baylor. I mean, Michigan's resurgence or coming back is also kind of a unique thing here. At 9 to 1, Michigan. Now, was it Michigan or was it Wisconsin who collapsed over the weekend? I was on Michigan minus 1. And so they were off they were down by 14 in that game, and then they went on an 8-0 run to end the game, and they win the game, you know, pretty much going away uh, after having, you know, being down big. And you know, there's an argument that people were having in the Big Ten: was it Michigan turning on their defense, or was it Wisconsin choking down the stretch? I think there's probably a combination of both. But Michigan is one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams against the spread, and they've got such talent such youngsters, and Michigan didn't have COVID. The university shut down because the university had COVID. So it's a bit different. It's a different setup in my mind because of the fact that you had Michigan. Some teams are getting stopped because COVID runs through their entire you know team. And so they're sick. They're isolated. They're not working out. They're not being able to be around each other. You know, Michigan had a stoppage. There's a difference there with what happened with Michigan than to others, and that's why I bet on Michigan against Wisconsin because I thought, okay, I'm not going to get minus one very much. And it turned into you could have gotten plus one as money came in on Wisconsin. And at one point, it was it was looking like that was the right play. And then the second half went totally awry for the Badgers, and Michigan gets a big victory. So, I mean, you want to bet on Michigan 9-1 to to win it all? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of value in Michigan right now to win it all. Some sleepers in the Big Ten, Illinois and Iowa, sure. Ohio State at 19-1 to is probably a little bit undervalued, but they're so 
dominant with their outside shooting. It's part of the problem in the tournament is if you're a dominant outside shooting team like the Creighton Blue Jays, Ohio State, in the tournament, if you go cold just on one afternoon, on one evening, if you're, if you're ice, that's it. You're done. There's no real, you know, you can't, that margin of, vict- of error is not there. And that's problematic. That's absolutely problematic for teams like that. So, I don't know. Virginia at 20 to 1, not bad. <laughs> I don't like Texas Tech at 23 to 1 at the FanDuel Sportsbook. I don't think their offense is very good, but West Virginia is growing on me fast. I like West Virginia a lot. At uh, 23 to 1 to win it all, maybe not a bad flyer bet to jump on given the way that Bob Huggins' teams is playing right now because I like what I'm seeing out of West Virginia. I like how they've performed. So, we're into mid-February here. We're getting ourselves really close to the conference tournaments, and then we go into the NCAA tournaments, a tournament unlike we've won we've ever seen before, all in Indiana, all in, around Indianapolis, no real travel to speak of, and a different schedule as well that we'll talk about a little bit later on. But remember, that's a different schedule than, than years past when it comes to the tournaments. Friday, tournament starts day one, even though the, the, the play-in games, if you want, are on Thursday. Next, Bob Packers joins us from Fox Sports. Let's recap Daytona, the win for Michael McDowell. 100 to 1 odds at certain books. We'll get to that next, coming up here on Pushing the Odds here on Sports Grid, Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. Well, it was wet, it was raining, it was lightning, it was everything, and then we got the race underway. After 15 laps, we had hours of delayed racing at Daytona before we finally got the thing in, and boy, did we have a finish. Bob Packers from Fox Sports joining us here on Pushing the Odds to recap the Daytona 500, the Great American Race. Bob, Matt Peralta, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the time. Okay, so first question is this. Should they have delayed the race to today, or did they make the right call by running the race and ending it just after midnight Eastern? I mean, I think they made the right call. Uh, I mean, it is you know partly cloudy here now, but uh, the forecast wasn't great for today, and you know, and they had the shot, the chance to get it in last night on a Sunday. Granted, today is a little bit is, is a holiday, right? So maybe more yeah. some more people would be home on a Monday than usual, but. You know, for the fans who who went who went out there, you know, they 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 wanted to try to get that race in, and uh, and they did. Typically, they'll if they can get done before one, they'll they'll try to do it. All right, so the race was awesome. It was a lot of fun to watch. Let's talk about the last couple of laps. More importantly, when 29, 28 laps to go in the race, when we saw the three race teams all kind of team up. Ford went first. Chevy went second. Toyota went last to pit before the end of the race. In hindsight, did Toyota make a mistake by not pitting sooner? Well, I think they made a mistake not pitting with another manufacturer because they just didn't have enough uh, Toyotas to uh, to have as good of a uh, launch off pit road than the others. And so they just 
didn't have the momentum that the others did, and they kind of got stuck in the back of the pack. So I, I don't know that whether, whether they had pitted two laps earlier or two laps later made as much of a difference as they just didn't have the numbers. And while they might not want to help another manufacturer, you can't not help another manufacturer if it's going to if it's going to bite you uh, when the result's going to bite you, right? You know, sometimes you have to suck it up and say, Hey, we're going to have to work with these people. We don't want to work with in order to be put ourselves in position to win. In in particular, because Toyota only had five cars in the field, right? So, I mean, they were working at a massive disadvantage anyway, when it comes to teaming up and we saw how many Fords were able to go to, go to pit road together that were on the lead lap. And sure. They lost a couple of them earlier in the, in the big wreck that happened at about the 14th lap, but it it felt like there was more coordination. At least Ford was able to use, you know, strength in numbers to help push their vehicles to the front late in the race. Is that fair? That's fair. I mean, Toyota is very uh, committed to funding their teams very well and looking for, you know, when they look at the entire season, they look for quality over quantity and they don't want to, they want, you know, they don't want to have to stretch their money too thin or have, you know, one organization say, Hey, this, this team is getting this, but they're not getting, but we're not getting that. And so they take a little bit different philosophy and it's helped them on most races. But when it comes to Daytona, when it comes to Talladega, sometimes it just it, it isn't good for them. All right, let's go to the last lap, Bob. And you have two Fords, multiple Fords are at the lead, but you have Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski right there at the top. They're both driving Fords. They're both teammates. What happened? How did that wreck happen on the last lap? <laughs> well, I guess it depends who you talk to. Uh if you talk to Brad, he probably feels that Joey threw a block on him and uh, and and just mistimed it. If you talk to uh, Joey, he's probably going to say, well, Brad got a little bit better push from Michael McDowell than, uh, than, than anticipated. And you know what? You know, that he felt like he – Joey said that he just really wanted to get in front of Brad and then have them work together and then have it decided – between the two of them. So, uh, but, you know, we obviously saw what happened. They, they made contact and they both, uh, they both uh, slid and spun and wrecked. And Michael McDowell said, thank you very much. So let's just, from a layman, if someone's watching this, cause it's Daytona at the end, last lap, how do they determine who wins in that scenario? The second the, the yellow flag goes up, who crosses the finish line first? I mean, how did Michael McDowell wind right. up? Because there was racing still going on, it looked like, even after that sure. wreck happened. Sure. Yeah. So when the yellow light goes on, or NASCAR has a button in their control tower, and they hit that button, and all the yellow lights are supposed to go on. But it also syncs with all their video, all their, video, all their cameras that are placed uh, throughout the track and above the track. So everything is timestamped, and they go back to when the, the timestamp of when the button was, and they look at the video, uh, they freeze the video at the exact same moment, and they make that determination. That's what they do on the final lap. You know, every other time during a race, they'll go back to a, a, a timing line embedded in the track. You know, they usually have about a dozen of those or so at a racetrack such as Daytona. But on that last lap, they will use video of when they called the caution and uh, and. and and how that correlates with, with their timestamp. And usually it correlates with when the lights go on, although sometimes there can be a little bit of a delay. 
So how big of a break was this for Michael McDowell? I mean, I mean, if, if they had let it go all the way to the race to the checkered to the checkered flag down to the finish line, could he have won the race still? He could have. I mean, he was third, but you know, you're talking about a guy who had finished top five in a couple of races at Daytona and Talladega, but he had won a cup race in three hundred in his three hundred fifty seven starts. So the question would be, could he have made the move to win the race? He said he had a plan. But, you know, when you're 0 for 357, I don't know that anybody <laughs> has a lot of confidence that your plan is going to work. Uh, but it, it wasn't necessarily a fluke because he has been he, – he, he has been in that position to take advantage of these situations if they were to happen before. How big of a career moment is this for Michael McDowell? I mean, is this the start of something or is this guy being in the right place at the right time? Well, I mean, he's 36 years old, I, I, and so I, I think this is I, this is his career moment. You know, I, I mean, I don't see him getting a big ride with another team. Uh, I, I think he'll continue with the team he's with, Front Row Motorsports, only their third win in 17 years. Uh, but you know, but this is a moment. This is a guy who spent four years doing what they call start and park, which is he drove for teams that didn't have enough money to buy all the tires or have a or have a full crew for a race. But they would show up, try to qualify for the race, run, a, run you know, 30 or 40 laps, and then park the car and take the purse money and go on to the next race. And that's the way he made his living for three years. He's a guy who drives his motorhome that he stays in during the race weekend to the track. So <laughs> this, you know, this is the story of perseverance. This is a story of a guy who said, you know what, I'm going to do something that for competitively I hate, but it keeps me involved in the sport I love. And it proves, can prove my worth as a driver. And maybe one day I'll win a race. And that, may, and that maybe one day I could win a race came on Sunday night or I guess we would say Monday very early morning. Bob, let me ask you a big picture question here. And so sports gambling is such a big deal for the future of NASCAR. They've got so many different deals that they're doing. Race teams are being sponsored and whatnot. Do you feel like the conversation or even the consideration for having either events before Daytona to lead into it, to give people a chance to kind of get some data, to be able to see what's happening, or to potentially have Daytona be the the last race of the year versus the first race of the year to increase exposure? Does sports gambling influence at all NASCAR's schedule? I, I don't think it influences NASCAR's schedule. I don't. Uh, I don't know that if you had five, you know, their their championship race. You know, I don't. I don't know that there's enough bet on their championship race that you would say, you know, where you have a whole season building up to it is any is any great amount or would have is any big difference in Daytona 500. You know, I think we're we're NASCAR. There's. What they have the ability to do is they own all this data. You know, they own all yeah. the data as far as, like, time on pit road and, and fastest lap and all that. And their key is to be able to sell that data for prop bets, right? Like, you know, and, yep. and, and that t- and, and in-race betting. Like, who's going to have the best pit stop at lap, you know, after the first stage or after the second stage? They own all that data. You can't just look it up, right? You, so... To me, that is where they can make the most out of um, out of out of gambling and and everything because they can they can do a ton of all sorts of different 
uh, bets with the data that they own. I totally agree. It's 100% accurate. I just mean in terms of exposure and, okay, so it's February. It's always this weekend. It's always two weeks for Speed Week and whatnot. But normally people kind of go, oh, wait, it's Daytona, unless they're a diehard. If they're diehard NASCAR fans, I get it. But the idea is to broaden the picture and bring more people into it. And I think NASCAR kind of loses the ability to build up the hype for having different races and events. And I know it's Speed Week leading up to it, but there aren't any real big races before Daytona and then it's just like bam here's the Super Bowl right out of the gate without any real like people being able to figure out who's hot and who is not so and then my my, yeah, and my well, second question is yeah go ahead I was just gonna say you know look they're, they're doing a lot of changes with the schedule there was some talk that maybe they would push the Daytona 500 a little later especially you know as at the NFL you know still tinkering with you know when will the Super Bowl be right will they add another week yeah. and, and exactly when that will be so you know, to your point, would it be better for NASCAR instead of doing their West Coast swing after Daytona? You know, their West Coast swing includes a stop in Vegas. Would so it be better to do that and then come to Daytona? And when you look yes. at, you know, put the potential influence of gambling, I can't say that that's not a bad idea. No, I love it. I mean, I just want more people involved. I think there's such a big – the NHL right now is seeing a huge resurgence. A huge amount of people are watching NHL hockey because they're betting on it. And I think NASCAR is so primed, like you mentioned, from a prop betting perspective and just from a betting perspective, to bring in new people. And I've got listeners of mine who have never bet on a race before, and they bet on the race last night, and they were up to midnight jumping up and down thinking it was the most fun thing in the world to have action on the end of that race. And then the wreck happens, and some of them are happy, some of them are mad. But there's just that drama is so unique in such a fun ride that if you get into it, you can really get into it and really have a good time with it. So I just think NASCAR's got a yeah. chance there if they're willing to play around with it a little bit. Bob, great stuff, my friend. Thanks for, uh, yeah, go I was just going to say, I bet the people who bet on McDowell at 66 to 1 were pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I was not one of them, but I had a Ford winning it, though. I bet Ford, so I was very happy to see that to see that outcome. I was nervous after the two Fords at top ended up losing. I'm like, wait a minute, did Chevy just win this race? So we ended up uh, getting that correct. Bob, good stuff today, man. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate the time. All right, thank you. That is Bob Packeris at Bob Packeris on Twitter to follow him. NASCAR reporter for Fox Sports joining us here on Sports Grid Channel 204. And look, I, I, I think that that's a really interesting thing to consider if you are a NASCAR fan and or casual or maybe you've never done it before. I'm telling you, I, I had people who listened to my, my podcast who were up with me. We were watching it. We're on Twitter and whatnot. We're watching this race and we're kind of ticking down going because I better afford I had Kevin Harvick in the top 10. That cashed. I had Denny Hamlin in the top three. That didn't get there. And then, unfortunately, I had Ryan Blaney in the top three. And Ryan Blaney got out early due to a collision he was in during the, during the wreck. But I, I was watching it, and I'm going, man, you know, this is... This is awesome. For people who have never bet on NASCAR before, this was incredible and a really fun moment that I think NASCAR needs to think about. I think pushing the Daytona 500 deeper into the schedule is a smarter move to give people some data. Got some more on that coming up next. Dave Sherapan's coming on next hour. More to come. It's Pushing the Odds. Sports Grid, Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
Look, we're not saying all the other sports talk networks are backwards, but we're pretty sure they all have a favorite Eehaw episode. Get on the grid. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. So a text out of the 551 area code, breaking Boston College fires Jim Christensen. Strange timing, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) But my dad's alma mater never makes any sense when it comes to sports. Boston College has been run pathetically for years. And, you know, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, they don't know what they are. They really don't. I mean, Boston College is a phenomenal academic institution. It's a wonderful university. It's got incredible history. But the move to the ACC has been disastrous for them, and and they just haven't had any success worth talking about. And I I think if you're a Boston College Eagles fan, I mean, I don't know why you're firing, you know, Jim Christian now. I mean, it's what did he do to get fired besides do what everybody else has done at that university, which is lose. So, I mean, that's a sleeper of a job, I guess. The best coach they had, you know, Al Skinner was probably the best coach they've had in the last 20 years. And, I mean, the program just is so far down. And I don't know who would want that job. Like, it's just, if you want to go and hire another assistant coach from a big-time school, okay, fine. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. But no, you know, decent head coach who has options is going to want to coach at Boston College and just get their teeth kicked in because Boston is a really hard place to recruit to. I'm from there, okay? It's not no one pays attention to Boston College sports. They just don't. They it's a professional sports town and BC is like, "Oh yeah, once in a while Boston College if they're halfway decent, people will pay attention to it, but it's cold. It's a city. It doesn't like sports for college. That's a that's a real tough place to recruit to for a variety of reasons, and the academics are hard too. So it's tough, real, real tough. Not a great job, but it is an ACC job that's open. But now, firing someone now? Whew. All right, we're not moving. We're staying here on Sports Grid. Don't move. Pushing the odds. Hour number two next here on Sports Grid Channel Two. 